Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Acts. We're back in Acts chapter 12 again this morning. Last week we talked about a theology of martyrdom from verses 1 and 2. And this morning I want to build off of that. And I want us to think together this morning about what it looks like as a church family to trust God in the midst of persecution. So we'll be looking at verses 1 through 24 together this morning from Acts 12. Talking about what it means to trust God in the midst of persecution. Let's pray together first. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for unexpected challenges that you bring our way. Father, we're just grateful that whether we have amplification or not, we can still worship you. And then, Father, we are also grateful that you gift different people to accomplish different tasks that need to be done when a need arises. So, God, thank you for the brothers that were able to help us this morning. Lord, as we turn our attention to this moment in Scripture, where we study and where we think, where we worship you with our minds, we worship you with our hearts, where we respond to your word as it's read and as it's sung and as it's prayed and as it's preached, Lord. God, I pray that you open our hearts and open our minds and open our ears to hear what's being said. And God, we'll trust that your spirit will apply it as needed to each one of our lives. You are our good shepherd and we are your sheep. And so, Lord, we need your help even now. So, God, that's our prayer. We just humbly bow before you. We thank you, Father, this week. You've been patient with us and kind with us and loving to us and forgiving to us. You've nurtured us. You've corrected us. You've trained us in righteousness. You have led us. You have preserved us. You have kept us. You have sustained us. You have heard our prayers and answered our prayers. God, you have been so, so good to us and we say thank you Lord we love you because you loved us first we pray all this in Christ's name amen so my aim this morning is really simple I really just want to help us to look at this passage of scripture and think as a church family about the truth that we can trust God in the midst of persecution that we can trust God in the midst of persecution that when it comes we can trust God and so that's what I want us to do I'm thankful I don't know about you I'm thankful this morning that we have God's Word I'm thankful that we can go to the pages of Scripture and we can look at accounts that have been given to us in the word 
of our brothers and our sisters that have gone before us and have been faithful unto death even. And they've modeled for us that God can be trusted and that God is faithful and that God cares. And I'm also thankful that we can go to the pages of scripture and that we learn who God is and what God is like and that we don't have to come up with a God of our own, but he's clearly revealed to us in scripture who he is, what he's like, how he operates, because this helps us in the midst of persecution. One of the greatest blessings we have, brothers and sisters in Christ, is the copy of God's word either in your lap this morning, on your tablet this morning, on your phone this morning, or hidden in your heart this morning, amen? Regardless of what I say when I'm preaching and explaining scripture, at the end of the day, we have God's word. And when those hard times come and the persecutions come, we can go to God's word and find help and comfort and strength to make it through. So let's read the text together. We're gonna read verses one through 24. And then I'm gonna give us two truths to think about when it comes to trusting God in the midst of persecution. Look with me at verse one. Notice the Bible says, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to the four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and 
from all the Jewish people, or from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting and she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Verse 18. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him, and did not find him, he examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea to spend time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. But oh, we'll sorry, we'll stop at 24. I'll read that next time. Verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. So we give you two truths regarding how we as a church can trust God in the midst of persecution. And here's number one. We can trust God by showing our commitment to prayer. Our commitment to prayer. You know, one of the most interesting parts of this passage is not only Peter's release from prison, that certainly was miraculous. But if you're not careful, you can get caught up in the miraculous and miss the ordinary means of grace. And by that, what I mean is the church gathered together to pray. James had been arrested and martyred. Peter had been arrested for the sole purpose of also being martyred. It was only God's providence and the way that things unfolded and the timing of the Passover and all the events that needed to take place at that time. It was only because of that reason that Peter's not martyred before or excuse me, right after James, 
Herod had to wait till the Passover season was over before he could bring Peter before all the people. So think about this. James is arrested and martyred. Peter has been arrested for the purpose of being martyred. And what does the church do in the midst of the persecution that they're suffering? What they do in the midst of the persecution that they're suffering doesn't make any human sense. They don't send out a survey. They don't send out a petition. They don't go down to the jail and protest. They don't get in touch with the government leaders and say, that's not fair. How could you do that to our two friends? They don't do any of the things that we might first think of as humans to do. Instead, they do probably what often many Christians might think is the last resort, which is to, to pray. So think about this. In their moment of need, in their moment of suffering, in their moment of adversity, in their moment of persecution, what they do is they gather together to pray. And in particular, they are praying for Peter. Someone said this, when a church is found to be faithful, it is always found praying. When a church is found to be faithful, it's always found to be praying. I appreciated what Israel said last week in Family Connect when he said, we should be praying for our pastors. Thank you, brother. I appreciated a text that Jonathan sent out earlier this week where he reminded us as men to be praying for our pastors. Don't sleep on the text. Don't read over it too quickly. Don't miss the fact that there was a strategic purpose that Herod arrested two of the most visible leaders of the church at Jerusalem at that time. He did it not only to put them to death and discourage the Jews, but he also did it to discourage the other Christians that their leaders were gonna be arrested, that their leaders would be martyred, and hopefully he was hoping that the movement would stop. But the church gathered and prayed. Isn't that awesome? That just because their leaders were arrested, just because one of their leaders had been martyred, and just because their, one of their leaders would be next, so to speak, it didn't stop the church. The church still gathered. The church said, you know what we need to do in this moment? We need to pray. In fact, look back at the text. Look at verse 5. Notice what it says. Peter is in prison, but what? Earnest prayer for him was being made to God by the church. You know what that word earnest is getting at in the original language? It's talking about continual prayer. It's talking about there was continual prayer by the church on behalf of their leaders. But not only was it talking about continual prayer being offered on behalf of Peter, but it was talking about intense prayer on behalf of Peter. 
So they had gathered for a purpose. They were, there was a tenacity, there was an intensity, there was a passion that was there that they had gathered together more than to share potato salad, more than to share coleslaw, more than to, to share a fellowship meal. No, they had gathered to pray. In fact, this word is only used three times in the New Testament. One place you can find this word used in the New Testament is in our text, obviously. Acts 12, verse 5. Another place that you can find this word used is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Where there, Peter tells the church that they are to love one another earnestly. Think about that. They are to love each other continuously and with passion, intensely. But there's another place where it's used in particular where it's talking about prayer. Look with me at the Gospel of Luke. Remember, Luke wrote Luke. Luke wrote Acts. Luke's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. But the Lord used the gifts, talents, and the, the abilities of the human authors as well. Luke was a historian. Luke was a physician. Luke paid attention to detail. And this word that we're going to look at in Luke 22, you need to understand that there's a dot he's wanting us to connect. That the way this individual prayed that we're going to look at in Luke 22 is the same way that the church prayed in Acts 12. So look with me at Luke 22, verse 39. The Bible says, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Now listen to verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more, what? There's your word. There's your word. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now as good Bible students, we need to identify who is the he. So you tell me, who is the he? Who is the one that's modeling for us what it means to pray earnestly, to pray intensely, to pray continuously? It's not a game, but to pray to shake heaven with your prayers. Spurgeon said this, prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell for they pray so, I can't read my writing. I have no idea what I wrote there. It looks like a big bunch of gobbledygook. 
for they pray so, I don't know. Say it again. <laughs> Weekly, how about that? We'll put that in there. And others give but an occasional pull at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. Brothers and sisters, that's how we are to pray. Because of Christ, our great high priest, we can go boldly into the throne of God. We can pray, not because of anything that you've done, not because of anything that's in you, not because of anything that you say, not because of your wisdom, not because of your worth, not because of your value. You can pray only because of Christ. He's our great high priest, and we can have confidence to go before God and pray. And not just pray weak prayers, but to pray earnestly, like you mean it, like you believe it, like you can feel it, like God hears it, not like it's just going hit to the, hit the ceiling and bounce back down in your lap. But you can pray. Our confidence is in Christ, our great high priest. Christ prayed that way. The believers in Acts 12 prayed that way. That's what Luke wants us to see. That when you pray, you can pray with confidence and boldness and courage. But we pray with humility, knowing our place, because it's not because of us, but our great high priest that we go before God. Now, These first century believers were a lot like us. Go back to the text in Acts 12. We know how the story unfolds. Let's remember they're praying, but they don't know how the story is unfolding. So look with me at the text. Look with me at verse 12. When Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. John Mark is introduced to us. He'll become a central figure for us in Acts later. There were people gathering together and they were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. Now this is one of those moments where the Bible's funny. <laughs> she recognizes his voice and leaves him standing outside. People are looking for him. She runs back to tell everybody, look at what happens. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Now look at verse 15. What did they say? You're out of your, you're out of, you're crazy. Now think about the, think about the paradox. Think about the irony. Think about how they're praying. They're praying fervently. They're praying boldly. They're praying passionately. They're praying, <coughs> excuse me, intensely. They're praying continuously. But were they praying expectantly? The Lord answered their prayer and they're like, what? You're crazy. That's not him. Oh, that's just his angel. But you know what, brothers and sisters, we're not that much different, are we? 
was reading one pastor say this, why is it that we pray for someone's salvation over and over and over again? And when someone gets saved, we say, that's amazing. But we've been praying for it. When God works in someone's life or God works in someone's heart and we see the fruit of our prayers, we say, wow, that's amazing. an answer to our prayers they're a little slow of heart in this passage of scripture just like we are no one's arrived so we can pray confidently and trust God in the midst of persecution knowing that God hears and that God answers I want you to think about this like Jesus in his moment of trial, the early church rose to the occasion by going to their knees in prayer. That's a definite play on words, Miss Kathy. They rose to the occasion by going to their knees in prayer. Pastor Carlos Yambes has told us many, many times, walk forward on your knees. That's what the first century church does. Now hear me carefully. Our changing circumstances and our difficulties and our uncertainties and our struggles and our adversities and our persecutions are God's invitation to us to pray. They're God's invitation to us to pray. Someone said this, the power of prayer was greater than the power of a king. Think about King Herod, what did he do? Well, he had 16 different soldiers guarding Peter, four squads. Those four squads, each squad had four soldiers. So he had four soldiers guarding him, put him in the deepest, darkest part of prison, shut the gates behind him, and oh, by the way, if you caught it when we read the text, he had two guards chained to him. He won't go nowhere. Well, so he thought. Think about that. The power of prayer is greater than the power of kings. Do you believe that this morning? That when you pray, you're praying to the king of kings and that he cares for you. And that the situation that you're in or the situation that you're going through or the adversity or whatever the struggle is or when the persecution comes, our king is the greatest king. And no matter what happens, his power is greater than any human power. It's pretty awesome. Listen, there's hope in that, y'all. There's hope. There's hope. Pastor Jim, we should be jumping up on, on the inside and the outside on that one. There's hope. There's hope. Now, let me keep going. Number two, the second way that we can show that we're trusting God in the midst of persecution as a church family is this. It's really simple. First one was really simple, but it's just that we would commit our ways to God. 
that we would just commit our ways to God, that we would commit our ways to God. This is why Romans 12, one would say that we need to be a living sacrifice. I want you to think about this. In every moment of adversity, in every moment of struggle, in every moment of hardship, in every moment of affliction, whatever it looks like, in every moment of persecution, what you have to do, what I have to do, what we have to do is to submit our actions, to submit our attitudes, to submit our ways, to submit our plans, to submit our agenda to God. Can I give you a small example of that this morning? None of us, when we got here, had any clue that the key to the trailer would break off in the lock. Did we? None of us. None of us had that idea that that was going to happen. But there was one person that did. The Lord. The Lord knew. And then we had an option. We either get frustrated, irritated, complain, moan, groan, or... We say, okay, the key broke off on the lock. No big deal. Next plan. We'll trust God. Does that make sense? Even in God's providence, he gave us a sermon illustration to help us understand that when something happens that you're not expecting or I'm not expecting, and then even much worse, like persecution, that we can just submit our actions, our attitudes, our ways, our plans, and our agendas to God. So you know what we did? Service started at 8.30. We just kept going. Pastor Eric opened the, prayer, opened the service with prayer. The ladies helped us worship the Lord through song. There was a mission moment that was given. There was a pastoral prayer that was given. There was another song. There was scripture that was read. And then praise God for my voice especially since I'm almost losing it. I'm thankful that we were able to get the sound fixed. You see what I'm trying to say? James is arrested. No big deal. He's martyred. No big deal. Peter's arrested. No big deal. He may be martyred. No big deal. What keeps going? The church. God's plan. It just keeps going. You can't stop it. A lot trailer can't stop it. No sound can't stop it. Hey, you can't stop it. You say, well, you meet outside if it rains. No worries. We'll adjust. It's not a big deal. Does that make sense? We have to submit our plans, our actions, our attitudes, our agendas, everything to God in the midst of persecution. Rachel and I have been having an ongoing discussion about this pastor in Canada. You guys know it. He's in... He's in he's, He's in solitary confinement for what? 23 and a half hours a day. He's only let out of his cell for what? 15 minute segments. It's crazy. He's treated worse than a murderer. All because of King Jesus. So we've been having this ongoing discussion. So baby, you better get ready because that might be me one day. And you know what I mean? You know what I know is, you know what I can be confident in? Church will go on. God's kingdom will go on. God's plan will go on. It's not about me. It's not about you. One of the things that we learn from this text is the kingdom's only on the shoulders of God. 
people come and people go, the kingdom continues. Now, let me give you a couple of truths we got to remember. First, every circumstance we find ourselves in is under the complete control of our good shepherd. Every circumstance that we find ourselves in is under the complete control of our good shepherd. Let me show you in the text. Look at verse 6. On the very night, don't miss this. On the very night that Herod had a plan to do what? Passover was over. And it was time to execute his plan, which was to execute Peter. On that very night, God intervenes. What happens? An angel comes and rescues Peter. Chains fall off. The doors open. <coughs> Peter is taken out from the jail cell, out and led out to the city. Brothers and sisters, who was in control of that? God was. I've already mentioned it. Herod could have had every single Roman soldier there in the entire empire guarding Peter. And would it have mattered? Have you never read the Old Testament? Have you never read the stories of how David would go into the camp and the entire camp would be sleeping and he could have killed King Saul like that? Why were they sleeping? Because God's sovereign in control of every circumstance. And in this moment, it's the exact same thing. It didn't matter if there were 16 soldiers, 16,000 soldiers. God's in control of every circumstance. So when you're going through persecution, though you can't see the other side, and though it doesn't make sense, and though it hurts and it's uncomfortable and it's not fun, you may lose your job or your life. I don't know. What we do know is in the midst of that, God's in control. Listen to me carefully. Nothing is greater than God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing will separate his people from the love of God. Nothing is beyond his power. Nothing is beyond his notice. And nothing's wasted. By the way, just in case you're curious, though Peter is delivered here, he would later die a death by martyrdom. Did you know that? See, it was God's plan for him to be released here, but later it was God's plan for him to die a martyr's death. And tradition says that he was hung upside down on a cross because he didn't want to be hung and crucified upright because that's the way Christ was crucified. God's in control of every circumstance. Second, God will judge rightly. God will judge rightly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because our pastor, Pastor Jim, has done a great job talking about judge, the judgment of God. But I do want to make a few comments. Go with me to Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. You need to understand this morning, every king in this world is on a string. got what I'm saying? Every king in this world, doesn't matter the ruler, doesn't matter the country, doesn't matter the regime, doesn't matter the political agenda, every single king God's in control of. Look with me at Daniel chapter 2. I can find it.
go to verse 21. Notice what Daniel says. He changes times, talking about God. He changes times and seasons. Now listen, what does he do? He removes kings. He sets up kings. That's what he's getting ready to do to Herod. That's what he's getting ready to do to Herod. Is God judges rightly. We've already read it. You know what happens. Herod can't find Peter, so what he does is to save face, he's embarrassed. He goes to Caesarea. He begins to rule the people from Caesarea. Remember I told you he was a politician's politician. There's a squabble between him and Tyre and Sidon. The Jews provided food for Tyre and Sidon, and he was upset with them, so he cut off their food supply. Anyway, long story short, they asked this guy Blastus to speak for them to the to King Herod. They get everything worked out, and then King Herod gives an oration when he gives his speech. It's funny. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, said that King Herod had this suit. Pastor Tom, it wasn't your red suit. This one was different. It was a shiny suit, like a, almost maybe like a, a tinfoil kind of a thing. Like it wasn't tinfoil, but it was kind of shiny and reflected like that. So here he is giving this speech to the people in this shiny suit that would have blinded everybody in complete pomp and, and, and pompous and, and arrogance and all this stuff, right? And then the people begin to say to him, the voice of a God and not a man. Herod's pride wells up within him, doesn't give glory to God. And what does God do? What did Daniel say? He sets up kings. He removes kings. God's more powerful than any earthly king. And when God judges, he judges rightly. And God is passionate about his glory. God is passionate about his honor. God is passionate about his fame. And he will not share his glory with another. Book of Isaiah tells us that. That's what God does here. He judges Herod for his pride, for his arrogance. Now go with me to Psalm 2. You may be here today and you don't know Christ, or you may be listening online and you don't know Christ. And you're thinking in your mind, well, I'm not Herod. You may not be Herod, but you're just as sinful and prideful against God. All of us, apart from Christ, we're in rebellion against Christ. Psalm 2 tells you the outcome. If you reject Christ today, the Bible's so clear what's going to happen. And out of love for you and love for your soul, I'm just going to share with you that you need to repent and you need to come to Christ or your fate will be like Herod's. You may not die like him, but you will die and go to hell like him. Listen to the text. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and take, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. It's talking about Christ saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us, but listen to God. You ready? This is our God. He who sits in the heavens does what? He laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Listen, there will be a payday someday. 
There will be a payday someday. You might run now, you might run tomorrow, you might run next week, but I'm gonna tell you something, you cannot run from God. And there's a judgment coming. The Bible's clear, if you're not in Christ, you're under the wrath of God. Don't take that lightly. Feel the weight of that. And let that be a motivation to run to King Jesus. Because what God has done for you in Christ is he bore the wrath that you deserve. And if you reject him, the reality of Psalm 2 will be true of you. The reality of Herod will be true of you. God judges rightly, and there will be a payday someday. Third, as we're committing our ways to God, remember this. God is fulfilling his covenant of redemption. Go back to Acts 12. I accidentally read verse 25 because I got caught up in it, the text. But I want you to look at verse 24 again. This is so cool what Luke does here. All this crazy stuff that's happening. All this awesome stuff that's happening. And Luke just adds that little footnote there that we need so desperately to remind us that God's fulfilling his covenant of redemption. Notice what it says in verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. God uses all things to advance his kingdom. He uses your adversity. He uses your suffering. He uses your hardship. He uses your affliction. He uses your good times. He uses your not your okay times. He uses the really hard times. And he uses the times when you're persecuted for your faith. God uses all things to advance the kingdom. God's more committed to the kingdom than we are. And he's committed to advancing it. Now, we're going to end here. You ready? What does it look like to apply these truths to your life? Go back in Acts 12. And look with me at verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was what? Did y'all catch that? Peter was what? Brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. How many times have you got a sleepless night because you're worried and fret, fretting over stuff? Right? How am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to get out of this jam? Think about this. This brother's life was hanging in the balance. And this man is so at peace with God and so at peace with his circumstances and so grounded in God's being a good shepherd and God having a plan and that he was a part of that plan that regardless of what happened to him, it wasn't about him. He had already died to himself and he was living for Christ. That the kingdom wasn't even about him. So he had a prominent role. My man was sleeping. That's awesome. You say, well, maybe he was just super tired and exhausted. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think this is visible evidence that Luke has given us at a man that's living out and living in the fruit of the spirit. He's content with his circumstances. He's content with God. 
He's content with the outcome. I probably would say that he would say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Isn't that awesome? He was sleeping so good. This is funny that the angel didn't even wake him up. When he saw him, when he came in, well, excuse me, when he came in the cell, the angel had to hit him like your kids for church this morning. Get up. You turn the light on. What do they do? <laughs> Crazy awesome. Can I tell you something? When our minds are right, and when our heart is right, no matter the adversity, no matter the suffering, no matter the hardship, no matter the affliction, no matter the circumstance, no matter the persecution, we have peace with God. We can find peace with God because God's in control. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, I just thank you for the fact that you included in the text that Peter was sound asleep, resting, not worried, not fretting, not complaining, not moaning, not groaning. There's other places in Acts where we're gonna see other brothers arrested and they're singing. But here this man is resting in you because you've got him in complete control. You've got him in your hand. Nothing is gonna, nothing's gonna happen to him that, that, that you don't want to happen. And he's fully resigned to whatever that you have. Lord, I pray for us this morning. God, I pray that we'll be that kind of people that God will just be committed to prayer and that not only will we be committed to prayer, but we will be committed to you with our lives. That we'll just lay down our agenda and lay down our plans and lay down our actions and lay down our attitudes and say, Lord, your way, not my way. Your life, not my life. I'm content with you and you alone because you are the great treasure. Father, I thank you for this passage of scripture. It's challenging. It's challenging. But we need it. We need to be challenged, God. Give us the courage and strength for the days ahead. Thank you for your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet as we sing to the Lord. Join us, we're going to sing There is a Fountain. <clears throat>